Investing in your business can be a wonderful way to grow wealth and live the life you want. That's what I'm doing. But investing in someone else's business can be even better. In my opinion, this is the best way to generate true passive income streams. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including the Global Cashflow Kings ETF, ticker symbol CFLO, which lets you invest in 200 companies with high levels of free cash flow, such as Visa and Costco, in one ETF. You can learn more about CFLO and the BetaShares fund range by visiting betashares.com.au. Read the PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to RASC's Australian Business Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who dare to leave the world in a better place and get paid while we do it. This podcast will make you a better business owner, investor, founder, or entrepreneur. If you want to start a business or already have one, please subscribe to the series or share it with your friends, business partner, or colleagues. And don't forget to consider taking our free business course, which includes heaps of templates for creating business plans, HR documents, employee files, all of my software recommendations, and more. The course is completely free and available via the link in your podcast player. Okay, let's get into the episode. Gentlemen, welcome back to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. Jordan, Daniel, good to have you with me. Same, likewise. Yeah, thanks for having us. So this is our first ever Q&A session. If you do like the Australian Business Podcast and you do like business, but you have questions about it, send us your questions you can do that. There's a link in the show notes of your podcast player. You can look down, pause this, click the link and submit a question. Just select the Australian Business Podcast. We did actually have a couple sent through that were not intended for this podcast and people selected it anyway. So we do not know when Fortescue is going to pay its dividends. Uh, so, And if you are trying to get in contact with us for media reasons, this is definitely not the way to do that. There is a separate contact page on the Rask website. So we'll try and answer questions that you sent through. Obviously, we are limited to the information that is given to us. It's really important that when you ask a question, you know that we are just answering it generally speaking. So we can't give specific advice. Even these these guys who give tax advice to clients, they can't necessarily be super specific. And when it comes to things like legal advice, you should consult a lawyer. Or if you're seeking financial advice on anything, you should consult a financial advisor. Uh, So keep all of those things in mind. Hopefully, we can bring you some education and a bit of fun along the way. So, gents, extremely general question from Bob Down. I don't know if that's – because we ask for funny names when they send them through. Bob Down. It could be his actual name. Uh, But they ask, how do I expand my company? I own and operate a medium-sized restaurant but my goal is to own a pub or several. Where do I start? I think that's an easy one. Start with a plan. Start with a plan. You've done it once before. You've got a medium-sized restaurant. You can more or less get it to that point in time. So let's start a plan. What's it going to take to either buy, if that's the plan, or get a new one, create budgets, scenarios. I think just starting with a conversation and creating some type of plan is mm. Step one. Yeah. It's um the model's already proven, I guess. So uh, he's done um done one and it seems like it's running quite successfully. The only thing with the pub and owning several pubs is the barriers to entry are extremely high. So in terms of buying one, it can be very, very difficult given just how expensive they are. I'm not too sure 
about in Melbourne and other states around Australia, but I know in Sydney some of them go for an absurd amount of money. Yeah, right. Given the amount of revenue they're generating, not from the restaurants but from the poker machines. Yeah. So given that the business is going well, maybe you can start by opening an, a restaurant in a pub yeah. and maybe sort of put the feelers out there that way to see how it runs and familiarise yourself with how pubs run because I'm sure it's different to how you'd run a restaurant. Yeah, it's probably liquor licensing and a bunch exactly. of different rules around that, depending on the state as well. Exactly. There'll be rules around that. And if it's there's poker machines, then wow, there's probably a heap of rules around that. Yeah, yeah so that's interesting. Like, I would just say, to Daniel's point, like to start with the why. Like, you say your goal is to own these, but why? If it's monetary, do you need several pubs? Maybe you do. But if it's not, like if, it's, if it, the ambition is something else, maybe just step back and wonder if you can get it in a different way. So what I mean by that is maybe there's an existing business you can buy into and you don't have to run it. Or maybe you can invest your money some other way like in the stock market or something like that or in property or something and get a return that way. But if your plan is just to like build a monster of a, like an empire of like restaurant and hospitality style businesses, sure, like weigh up the cost benefit analysis of new versus existing. There are many different types of financing. You, we were talking about this yesterday briefly, like a good accountant can help you, if I'm not mistaken, to do the due diligence yeah. on books. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Daniel, you're doing one as yeah. we're speaking. Yeah, we, we help many small businesses do a due diligence on you know potential business purchases. So, what would you look at? Mostly the financials. There is a pretty it's a six page checklist on everything that we're sort of looking through, and we're look, trying to go through and validate. That's probably the best validate, way to right. validate the information that they're currently giving you. You know, for example, if they're reporting. $3.6 million in the bank, they turn over $2 million, there's a high chance that something's gone wrong. Yeah. And that's a direct example because it's hit my desk. And yeah. I, the first question is, okay, show me a bank statement. If the directors are saying they're taking $50,000, all right, let's have a look. Why is there that Division 7A loan? Why is there a debit loan that's being built up? So you're not taking $50,000, you are taking 200000 So everything we're looking at is to just validate what it is so that whatever the asking price may be, whatever they're going for, we can actually say, yes, we're happy with it because all the information you've given us makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, just cross-checking documents and making sure that everything's what they say it is. So like the pub example, if you were doing a due diligence, you'd do everything that Daniel was saying. And look, don't quote me for what I'm saying because it's just very basic off, off the cuff, but like things like, you know, checking your POS terminal, you know, does that match yeah. the bank account? Because yeah. you want to cross-check these things and work out, okay, is the restaurant actually turning over X amount of dollars every month or, or every week? Does the sale price make sense? Should I do a valuation? Is the due diligence going to be enough? And for businesses, you know, anything under like five mil, you'll be able to get, you'll find out pretty quickly if it's, if it's worth buying from a due diligence, if, if their financials are a true reflection of what's happening in the business. Yeah, that's right. We're not here to tell you if it's a good buy or a bad buy. All we're simply doing is verifying your decision with the information you're given. And all we're going to do is more or less tell you these components don't add up. Yeah. Ask more questions. What about if, uh, do you guys do valuations, business valuations? Not really. No, we can keep them separate. So like we'll outsource it. Yeah, so you guys just do the verification and let someone else deal with that. Yeah, because you want it done independently. 
Yeah. Not from your advisor. Because even if you look at it from the seller's perspective, it's like, well, of course, they're going to do it so it favours you. Yeah. So we, you get that done independently and we, we don't touch us. So you give it to another accounting firm or something Yeah, like someone that. who specialises in it because it is a, a niche in the accounting space. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. So there's a lot to go on there. One of the things maybe just to be mindful of, like things like cash money. Also look at people, like the key people in the business. Will they leave if you take it over, if you buy one? How are you going to incentivize someone? You can't be in several pubs at the same time. And um, that would probably be my, unless you're like some sort of like, you have some sort of superpower, uh, in which case you'd run them all at the same time without sleep. You need to incentivize the right people in each business to take control of that business and to take ownership and responsibility when you're not there. Because that's the hardest thing in hospitality. It may be easy for you to run one and you can have close the shop for two days a week. But what about if you've got three? Then you need three managers. Maybe that's including yourself. But then some of those might be open seven days a week. So then you need four, five, six. Managing rosters becomes a very big thing. Yeah. And then you get complexity. There might be some synergies in the back office. Like you maybe only need one bookkeeper to do all of them, only one marketing team to, or person to do all of them, such so, so on and so forth. But just be mindful of why you're starting, I would say. So the next question comes from Maddie Wood. That sounds like a real name. Uh, says, hi, I love the podcast. My question is, are you able to have more than one business operating off an ABN as a sole trader, even if the businesses are in different industries? For example, a specialty drink company and a car rental company. And if so, do you have any tips or traps to look out for? That's I don't actually know the answer to this. Yeah, I'm happy to take this one as well. So can you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no reason why you can't. I would probably definitely be registering the different business names under that ABN. You can have multiple. So the trading names. That's you're going right. to issue invoices in that, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. In terms of structuring, I'd probably be consulting someone to have a look at how and why you want to remain a sole trader as well. Yeah. Because there are benefits of obviously starting organizations such as companies having trust involved. There are benefits. And I think it, for Maddie, it would be really important maybe to speak to someone. Maybe there's a better way of doing what he's doing. If he wants to remain doing what he's doing, that's completely fine. He can. A big tip from an accountant, separate your bank accounts. Whatever you're doing for the specialty drink, keep it in a specialty drink account. Have a separate trading account for that versus the car rental. If everything is merged together, it's almost impossible to find out if one's making money, if one's losing money, what's working, what's not working. It's very difficult to track progress on those. You could be making money overall, but you have one side of things that's losing money, one side that's making a lot of money, and you're sort of meeting in the middle. Yeah. Make so, sure you know. Yeah. All right. Cool. Like it. Anything to add, John, or should we go to the next one? No, I think Daniel's covered everything. For yeah, that's right. David James, DJ, says, Hi, Owen. This is before you guys got involved with the podcast, so now it's the three of us. Hi, Owen. I have been approached to merge with another business within my industry. That's interesting. Two businesses with similar end goals, but very different starting points. Mine has been self-made and now a very reputable brand within the other. The other has benefited from a large cash injection and buying into an international brand. However, the proprietor has very little industry experience. In brackets, they have a lot of big business experience though. So maybe there's something good about that. Merging will enhance opportunities as our strengths will be combined, scaling will be possible, but I'm well aware there are risks. Do you have any general tips for me to consider with small business mergers? This is very new ground for me. Uh, yeah, so sorry, I'm just going to sort of break this down because it's quite a bit. Yeah, quite a bit there. So I guess when you're going into business with someone, um, you sort of want to make sure that you know 
you align with them. And for me personally, like my, from my experience with Daniel, like I have to be able to relate to them on a personal level as well. It can't just be profit driven yeah. or, or business driven. So I think you need to make sure you really know who this person is and understand them on a personal level. Do your personalities, can can they mold together or are they going to clash? I think that's really important when you are going into business with someone because, you know, once you're in and you're going to the extent of this example, it's going to be very hard to unwind and, and sort of oh, yeah. step out. Once that contract's signed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially if you're going to merge your business, once you're in, you're in. You're going to cut and run. I wonder if there's a way for them to do like a joint venture yeah. instead like to have an operating company or something or they split profits or have it a, like a joint venture agreement? Yeah, there's a few different ways you can do that. But again, it's very specific. Very compl- yeah, it's very complex. It's hard to sort of give direct advice for this one because it's we don't know what industry, we don't really understand the two people, how they know each other, what the relationship is, how they got in touch with each other. So like you're getting married to this person. Like yeah, yeah. In, in business, you're getting married to this person. It's a long-term thing. It's an expensive wedding. Very. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially yeah. if you get divorced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it gets even more expensive. Yeah. Well, how do you, how do you get divorced here as well? It's really difficult to just take your business out. It's, unfortunately, it's not that simple because if you've been doing this for six months and go, hey, I don't really like it, mm. and that's where it's important to get like a solicitor involved. Yeah, draw up all your agreements, your contracts, write yeah. heads of agreement as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Like a non-disclosure agreement. I'm just putting my own bottle back together as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you want to do all that. I would, t- to be honest. It sounds as though like the other person has experience. I would just be really checking yourself at the door. Like, why would they be able to scale? We don't know the industry, so we don't know. But why would you be able to scale? Is there? What are you looking for out of it as well? Because if you're considering this merger, one, why do you need the assistance? Yeah. Is it someone you just want to bounce off? Is it, you know, to scale really quickly as well? And can you do that by yourself with similar strategies? Do you need a cash injection? Because there's multiple different ways of getting finance. As well, it's not just, you know, merging with someone. My first recommendation is probably to find an unbiased third party to help you through this process, to sit down, mediate, explain the risks, go through some of the personal stuff as in how do you resolve disputes? What happens if, for example, with us, how do we, yeah. you know, sort out problems? If Jordan believes one thing, I believe another thing, how do you find a resolution? We can because we know each other personally, we trust each other, we can have open communication and conversations about it. But if you don't have that avenue, you're going to just go downhill very quickly. Uh, uh, going to business with people is risky. You need to understand the person beyond just the business. Yeah. I would also say, you know, a lot of these agreements have a clause in them, which is if this happens, then what happens? And so what it would be like is, if someone has to exit, what's the buyout and what's is that's typically set in advance. So it can be like like if there's like a million dollars of revenue, for example, you have to do two times revenue or something, and that's how you get the valuation to buy the other person out. Or there's something like we were talking yesterday, you guys mentioned it, it's like vendor financing, where this is not necessarily like it's like a payment plan. So one agrees to sell to the other person as a payment plan, uh, which then they use the new business to pay off. And so maybe there's a way that you can own the business if that scenario happens. So you have that kind of fail safe. If something goes wrong, because they've approached you at the end of the day. Remember, if they're approaching you, they're the one that may be at a disadvantage in this situation. So maybe there's an opportunity for you there too. I'd just be very mindful. Get legal advice, significant amount of due diligence on them. 
as Daniel's saying, and also on the business. So that's a good question though, because that's like something that happens a lot. There is, a, you often see that, like two kayards right next to each other, why don't we just merge? Makes sense. So there's this question from Abley Mangles. Abley Mangles, I think that's how you pronounce it. Wanting to take over a family business of lawn mowing, but I have an extremely busy life with my master's degree and working at a hospital. Is it smart to go from not knowing anything about running a business to putting on an employee ASAP so I have more time to work and study? I would just say no one really knows what they're doing in business, (laughs) but but we will give you some guidance here. So what do you guys reckon? Yeah, I think um, a master's degree, you've got to sort of weigh up you know, what you're doing, is, it something, is that something you're passionate about? And, you know, don't just do something for a monetary gain. You've got to enjoy what you're doing and have passion because if money is the only motivator, like that can, that can run out quickly. I mean, it sounds great to just run a business, put an employee there and, you know, cash <laughs> them forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it sounds amazing and it sounds too good to be true because from our experience, it is. Yeah. It's, it's not that simple. There's a lot of work, you know, as business owners, we know the amount of work involved to run a business and it's not as simple as putting an employee there and go, what's stopping this employee from running the business or starting their own business if they're going to be running your business for you? Yeah. Have an ins- like Maybe go into partnership with someone. If you're going to front you know, the capital money, yeah. or the money, then you get a return on your money. Mm-hmm. But if you're already struggling and you already think you're a sort of you live an extremely busy life, Maybe starting a business right now is not the best time for you. I'm not yeah. saying not to do it. So maybe it's not the best time. Yeah, and even the second part there to put an employee on ASAP to have more time to work and study. Like if you're going to take on that business, like you want to invest the time and effort into that one business and not go and work at mm. the hospital. You want to make sure that you can generate a good amount of revenue and then profit after the fact. So you don't need to have that second job. Yeah, I've known people that have started businesses or like run businesses while they're going and study, but they don't typically have a fault, another job. I would just say the biggest concern for me that you have in this, aside from what these guys just mentioned, is the thing that you did in all caps, which was ASAP. Because that made me think that you are rushing into this. And I would say, don't do it if that's the case. Like, just don't do it. Like the second part of or the rationale behind this is a lawn mowing business is typically priced based on like the the jobs. So they value the jobs just like many businesses are. And they'll go, okay, like you do, I don't know what the actual multiple is for the industry, but let's say, for example, you do $200,000 of lawns a year, it's $100,000. So half of that, 0.5 times. But the barriers to entry in lawn mowing are very low and garden maintenance. So you could think about this and you could go, I could spend a hundred grand on this or I could spend a hundred grand starting my own. In which case, it doesn't come with baggage. It doesn't come with any workers, but you can do service seeking, Facebook ads, Gumtree ads, like letterbox drops. Letterbox drops. These are all super effective. So you could do that and you could start it yourself with literally a lawnmower and some petrol whip snipper and just go for it and see what happens. So I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't rush into it. Maybe you start like that. You learn the skills and then you go and buy another business if you want to take it seriously. So the final question, which we'll jump to, is from Nick. And Nick says, hi, my name is Nick. I own a car wash and a laundromat, both washing things. I have owned them for about seven months. I have seven months, bought two? Maybe it was like two in one. Anyway, continuing on, 
I have recently enrolled myself into a Cert 4 of accounting and bookkeeping to better understand my businesses. I just want to know your thoughts on doing this compared to your business course, or should I try both? Yes, do both because the business course is free. That's the first bit there. I want to continue to buy car washes and laundromats, but want to understand the financials correctly first. Thank you. Yeah. I think um, that's great, involving into the Cert 4 of accounting and bookkeeping. I mean, when you're doing that stuff at TAFE, it's much more practical as opposed to uni. Mm. Um, you're actually in accounting files and processing debits and credits, and it gives you a really good base understanding of the bookkeeping and the financial side of the business. And I think if the plan is expansion, you need to have a good understanding of how all that works. Yeah. So I think, I think it's fantastic. In terms of continuing to buy them, I would just you know, keep doing what you're doing and you know, process and just minimize the manpower because especially with the car washers, it can be wages can get out of hand very quickly yeah. if it's not one of those super automatic car washing machines. Yeah, if it's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And even with a laundromat, you do need to, you may need to hire someone, you're already seven months in, so you know this, but like maybe you occasionally need like an on-call plumber or you could do that yourself. You need to have someone to close the store if it's not 24 hours. And I guess just the car wash, you want to make sure to Jordan's point that maybe make use of thing of people like contractors rather than employees just going straight in and getting 10 people like you wouldn't want to do that. And to the point that we spoke about before is um, buy versus build. I dare say if it is a typical car wash, maybe it's in favor of buying and existing, but with a laundromat, maybe not. Maybe there's some other way you can do it. I don't know if you've got any separate thoughts, Daniel. There's a lot to sort of dissect them still. The only question here is, is it a good idea to do both the business course and the um, the accounting course, which is obviously yes, do yeah. both. Yeah. My next thing is if you're going to be looking at this from a big picture where you want to be buying or setting up multiple and continue to do so, having a Cert 4 of accounting and bookkeeping won't help you with that. It will help you ask the right questions to your advisors and people that can assist you with that. The Cert 4 will more or less help you keep track and understand where your current business is at. You're going to struggle to sort of use it to directly like keep benefiting you. I think that maybe what they're going for is just like a general understanding of accounting, which… Which is important. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. And this is probably, especially if this is going to be your empire, you need to understand that. You just need to be able to ask the questions, I guess. I think it's understanding what questions to ask and how it all works. It's going to be really, really beneficial for Nick. Yeah. And then getting someone who's got experience with purchasing. Obviously, Nick knows how to set them up. He's got two. I'm not too sure if he's bought or set up. He hasn't sort of specified. But he's obviously been able to do it to two. I don't see why he can't just sort of do it again. But have someone to call you out as well. You know, yeah. if you're going to do everything yourself, at least have a mentor, advisor, lawyer, mm. some type of professional to overlook it from sort of a third-party point of view and call you out if you're overestimating. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm just thinking how to do this now. I'm ticking. <laughs> so I reckon the car wash and the laundromat, it's great that there's two. So you can use them as your cash cows at the start to fund future acquisitions and you probably want to continue to acquire. Again, not advice. This is just... Yeah. Um, spit, yeah, yeah. Just spitballing. But like acquire car washers because the barriers to entry, or maybe even starting them, like you said, oh, and, and not purchasing them because the barriers to entry to setting them up are relatively low. 
and then use those funds from maybe the three, once you set up your second car wash, use them to purchase another laundromat. Because even if you were to start a laundromat, I'm guessing the startup costs are a lot more because those machines surely aren't cheap. Mm. So that's where you need to make sure you've got really good cash flow to fund future acquisitions and, and future investments in the businesses. Um, in my experience looking at these, because I went to buy one of these when I was in my very early 20s, and obviously cash money, right? Cash money. Cash money. <laughs> <laughs> For both of these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, both involved in the washing of things as well. <laughs> so that's what I'll say there. Round and round. <laughs> <laughs> and the the laundromats that are right near universities are super expensive, like super expensive. But some regional towns, when I say regional, like suburban towns more, um, they might have a store that doubles as a laundromat. So they might have, say, I don't know what would be a good example but I think it's like a pet washing thing in town where I am. And they have two washing machines and two dryers, like the industrial ones. And so it kind of makes sense because there's room in the pet thing. Like it's like a separate door you go through, but it's just like a small little room. And so maybe there's a way to have low capex. This is what we call capital expenditure to set things up. And there's probably synergy there where you can get cheaper rent if you put your stuff in those shops. Um, so maybe there's a way to expand. And Nick, you might end up with 10 small like micro sites that can then bankroll the bigger ones that you then, because even if you have two to buy another one, it's not cheap. You're going to have to be saving for a couple of years, I imagine. So maybe there's a way to make smaller bets in areas and test out those areas. Yeah, and get that better cash flow so you yeah. can fund those future purchases because I'm yeah. sure to fit one out, it's not going to be cheap. Yeah. I guess the, the, the quintessential example is Warren Buffett when he started his first business when he was like a kid or just like a teenager, uh, him and a friend, they had a pinball machine and they'd buy secondhand pinball machines. So just in case it'd be like secondhand washing machines or whatever. And then they'd take them to barber shops, and they made them like a mozza. Like they made so much money doing that. And they gave the, um, the barbershop a little clip, of course, but the barbershop was like, yeah, cool. Cause the kids can play while the parents getting haircuts. You know, and so maybe there are synergies like that, like beautiful little synergies that you can find where you can launch this without having to really lever up everything that you've got you've got going on. Well, that's the last question. If you do have any questions and you want to send them through, send them through to us, uh, Jordan, Daniel, and myself. You can just use the link in your podcast player. We'll answer questions. Hopefully, we can do these at least monthly because we do have so many people listening to the podcast now, which is amazing, and. You've probably got questions. If you do send through, maybe give us a bit of context in some of the questions. Like, not just like I have a business and I'm looking to do this. Like, give us some context around like some of the struggles or things that you're trying to do. Because we want to learn as well, which would be really cool. I definitely want to learn about from you. So these guys, we've got Daniel and Jordan from Gray Space Advisories, sponsors of the show. There's a link in the show notes to jump on a, I guess, a, what do you use, Zoom? Yeah, we use Zoom for the business health checks. Yeah, business health checks. You can jump on a, on a Zoom with these guys and get your accounts reviewed, your structure, your business plan, whatever it is. You can have a chat with them. Uh, there's a link there. Click it. And otherwise, you can head to Grace Space's website, which is, is it gsadvisory.com.au? Yep. yep. Oh, there we go. Yep. All right, on guys. the money. On the money. <laughs> In the studio in Melbourne recording, which is heaps of fun too. So, Daniel, Jordan. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, 
legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. If you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant, lawyer, investor, or entrepreneur, I want to hear from you. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do with this podcast series, so I'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts, and of course, I'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people. If you're looking for a supporter or advisor, a silent partner, or even an investor to support your growth, I can help. Please contact me via the RASC website. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.